0: Glad that you guys are here at church. Thanks for everybody joining us online. Happy uh, day, uh, Sunday after Easter, um, which is known in ministry circles as Hangover Sunday, uh, because everybody gets up so big for Easter. And uh, I remember seminary professors saying, listen, Easter is when everybody makes the big effort and the people uh, just, they just get worn out. And so the next Sunday, he said, don't be discouraged. And I was like, well, that will never happen. You know, uh, yeah, well, welcome to Hangover Sunday. Uh, But the thing is, it's Sunday. It doesn't matter what Sunday it is. We are here to worship God. Amen? That's what we're here. We're here to experience community. We're here to worship. We're here to uh, to learn from what God's word has to say for us. So we're going to dive right in. If you guys know, we are in the series on the prodigal son, part two. And this is simply called the pouting prodigal. I, I love this. Um, in Luke chapter 15, last week, we talked about the younger son that went away and squandered his inheritance. We talked about what inheritance was and how we are squandering our inheritance as a nation, as, as people. Um, and, and when the prodigal son came to his senses, he went back and realized he wanted the reconnection with his father. He wasn't interested in what his father could give him. He, could, he was only interested in, in re- reestablishing that relationship. And that is the first part. And everybody like for the story to end there, but Jesus doesn't end the story there. There's another brother, an older brother, that we see here in verse 25, Luke chapter 15. This is after the prodigal son has come home and there's a big party. So check this out. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now to pouting prodigals, the sound of music and dancing. It was abhorrent. We don't do that kind of stuff around here. Music and dancing, how odd, how awful, how terrible. Think about that, right? Uh, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Okay, so set the stage here. Here's a dutiful older brother who's always done everything right and, is, and didn't go away, didn't do all the bad stuff that the younger, his younger brother did. And so when the younger brother comes back and receives a royal treatment, he's angry. He doesn't like it. And his father goes out and talks with him. And, uh, and his son goes out and pleads with him and says, son, don't be this way. And this is his answer right here, the pouting prodigal, verse 29. He answered his Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never gave me even so much a, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property the prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So as Rachel said, the main thing today is how to pout like a biblical pro and three easy steps. I'm going to show you guys how to pout. Like a biblical pro in three easy steps. The first thing that we see about this older brother is this: is you need to nurse an angry spirit of grumbling. Everybody say grumbling, grumbling. Okay, Um, Ephesians four twenty six says this: and your anger do not sin. We are not. We are. It's okay to be angry. It is okay to be, angry. anger is just an emotion that comes from when you don't think, when when something has been taken from you, when you don't think you're being treated fairly, something has been taken from you, that is the cause of anger, not getting what you want, okay? So this is how you tell if you have, if you are nursing an angry spirit of grumbling, okay? An angry spirit of grumbling is different from being angry. Anger is an emotion, comes and goes, it's okay. Jesus says, hey, you can be angry In your anger don't sin. But this is how how you can tell if you have an angry spirit of grumbling. Number one, let's ask the people around you if you are a complainer and a grumbler. If I was to go up to the people that live with you or the people that work with you and say, hey, tell me about so-and-so, would they describe you as a complainer? Because Unbeknownst to most of us, the people around us sometimes know us better than we know ourselves. Are you routinely and habitually complaining about things? It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the world situation, whether it's things at church, whether it's your husband or your wife, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your children, or the, the the boss, or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. Are you a habitual Complainer and grumbler, Just ask the people around you. They'd be happy to tell us about you, okay? They would, okay? The second is this. The second is this. Do you make everything about you? Do you make everything about you? See, the older son made his brother's homecoming all about himself. Did you see this? Uh, so he, he, he comes home to a, a party and the father has killed the fattened calf. What was his response? Well, you never did that for me. You see this? Do you make everything that happens about you? Is your first response to things how it will affect you? You. The younger son's homecoming had nothing to do with the older brother, but the older brother immediately made it about him, how he had been wronged, not a celebration of his, of, of his brother. Okay, so are you in the habit of making things that have nothing to you do with you about you? Someone says, that person did a great job. And you say, well, so you're saying, I didn't do a good job? No, that person didn't say that at all, but you just made it about you. Uh, th- th- this person... Uh, Someone says, they have a beautiful home. So you're saying, my home isn't beautiful? No, that person was simply saying that they have a beautiful home. It had nothing to do with you. Someone says, your brother's home, your dad's throwing a party. Well, dad never threw me a party. You see how this works? This is how you know you're nursing an angry spirit of grumbling and complaining. You make everything about you. Things that have nothing to do with you make it about you. Angry spirit of grumbling makes you think everything is a a loss to you that happens. It becomes a filter through which you view everything in life and your first reaction to anything is think about how you are affected. Another person's gain is your loss. Uh, uh, One person's compliment is your insult. Another person's good news is your bad news. That's how you know you're nursing an angry spirit of grumbling and that's how you know you're a pouting prodigal. Okay, Uh, I've got bad news for constant complainers and grumblers. I got bad news. You have brain damage. People are like, huh? Yeah, yeah, you have brain damage. Your brain is damaged. Now let me explain it to you, okay? Uh, what, uh, when, when uh, I was a kid and I was doing sports, I was told practice makes perfect. Well, that's actually not accurate because you can practice, I can be on bass guitar and I practice the wrong notes a hundred times and play the wrong notes perfectly, right? It doesn't matter. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So whatever you, if you're an athlete and you, you, the athletes will pray, take the same shot a hundred times, a thousand times. They kick the soccer ball the same, same time, a uh, hundred, a 1, thousand times so that they develop muscle memory. Your brain rewires itself to what you constantly do. Now, if you are a complainer and a grumbler, your brain is damaged. You're, you have rewired your brain to see the bad, to see the negative. And so your, 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 your brain says, okay, this person's complaining, okay, let's make it easier. And neural pathways, it's been proven by psychiatrists, neural pathways are, 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 are made it easier, like the path is made clear for you to be a complainer. So the more you complain, the more you'll complain. The more you see negative, the more you'll see negative. That is, a, that is the way God has made our brains. You have practiced and now it's become permanent. Just like an addict's brain has been rewired to desire the drug, the complainer's brain is rewired to see the negative, to see what's awful, to see what's terrible, to see how everybody's against you. You have brain damage. And the more you complain, the more you damage your brain. The more you grumble, the more you damage your brain. You know, I, I could be a millionaire entrepreneur right now if I was to start a complainer's detoxes clinics. You know, send, send, like, like your coworkers, send you there, like, court order you to go there because they're tired of hearing you complain about everything? You know, 30-day detox. I could be a million. Any entrepreneurs out there, that, that, I, you'd be a millionaire overnight. If we could send people to a complainer's detox facility because you have damaged your brain. See, this shows an incredible sense of self-centeredness. This older brother was nursing an, an angry spirit of grumbling. The Bible tells us something radically different in Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2.14, Paul tells us this, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Now, as an American, I'm speaking to some Americans here. Americans, we are constant complainers. We complain about everything. I have never met a more dissatisfied, complaining, grumbling group of people as I have the people of, of my home country. We really are. You go outside of America, you don't hear half the complaining that you hear here in this nation. And Paul's message in Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without grumbling, complaining. Great message for America. Well you say, well, how dare Paul tell me that? He doesn't know me. He isn't in my situation. You're right. Paul wrote that from a Roman jail. Okay, If anyone had the right to complain or grumble, it would be Paul because he was arrested unjustly. He had had, uh, um, uh, charges fabricated against him, and he was facing execution for simply serving God. If anybody wanted to grumble and complain, it'd be Paul, and he'd be justified for it because he was treated unfairly. Yet from the middle of that situation, he writes, do everything without grumbling and complaining. All right? So maybe if Paul isn't complaining about being falsely imprisoned and about to be executed under false pretenses and he's not gonna complain about it, maybe I can throttle back my complaining too, okay? Many times though, outbursts like we see from the sun here are from a growing sense of resentment. The, 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 the resentment towards a person grows and it boils out into, into these types of outbursts. Uh, it often comes from an insecure fight for respect, it really does. A little insight into our our psyches. Uh, Everyone wants respect. But if you're constantly fighting for it, feeling like you're having to fight for respect, that may mean you don't respect yourself. And I would imagine that's going on in this older brother's mind. You don't respect yourself. So the antidote to this angry spirit of grumbling is this. Pray honestly and honor everyone. You know, the thing that I like about the older son is the older son doesn't pull any punches when he talks to his dad. I think Jesus did that on purpose. He was saying, listen, you can be honest with God. You can pray honestly. Lord, I'm having trouble with this, and I don't think you're doing the right thing. You can say that. You you can, because God knows it's already in your heart. He already knows it. He just wants you to be honest enough to tell him. And so the older brother tells his dad exactly what's going on, to his credit. I love that. How honest, how gut-level honesty is with God. You know, Christians are the weirdest people in the world. The one person that can do anything about our situation, we don't pray to. We, we don't tell them the real truth. And we tell a whole bunch of people who can't do anything about it, we tell them the truth, but we don't tell God the truth. Huh? How about we reverse that? How about we tell the one person that can actually do something about your situation, God, let's tell him the truth. And the people around you who can't do anything and, not, and it's none of their business, they don't, probably don't wanna hear it anyway. Zzz. Okay? See, guys, resentment is caused by unforgiveness. And unforgiveness grows into resentment. Resentment moves you far from reality where you can't see the truth. See, the older brother, his resentment had depersonalized his brother where, where he could only see his brother's faults. And I guarantee there are people in here whose resentment and unforgiveness has, there's somebody in your life you have depersonalized. And you can't even see them for who they are. You can only see how wrong they are, how bad they are, how badly they've treated you. That's, all, that's the only thing you can see. And that happens. And that's what causes you to be a pouting prodigal. Forgiveness and becoming others-centered is the antidote for an angry spirit of grumbling. And Jesus shows that grumbling and complaining have no life, no, no part in the life of a Christian. So if you're a grumbler or complainer, I've got good news for you. There's grace for you. But I've also got bad news for you that you're grumbling and complaining has no place in the life of a Christian. Okay. Second way to pout like a biblical pro is this: have an exaggerated sense of goodness, specifically your own goodness. Okay, an exaggerated sense of goodness. Look at verse twenty-nine through thirty. He answered, Father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Come back to that. Yet you never gave me such a uh, young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, a son of yours. As it was squandered property, the prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. Well, I was teaching this story uh, to a, a group of VBS kids a few years ago. And I'm not gonna say who the kid was, because the kid's still here. All right? I'm not gonna tell who the kid was, but it's awesome. Okay, I was teaching this story and and about about the the prodigal son and and, and everything like that, and we'd gotten to the part of the older brother and asked the question. Who wasn't happy that the, young, that the younger son came home? And one kid raises his hand and goes, the fat calf. <laughs> yeah, 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 Yep. Yeah, 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 very true. Now, you know, completely unrelated, the same group of VBS kids that same week, this kid was on fire, okay, same group of EBS kids. We were talking about how uh, you, you can't save yourself, how Jesus' death on the cross opened the, the, the gates of heaven and grace and all this kind of stuff. We've been teaching this all week. And so at the end, I was summarizing up, and I said, so can we get to heaven by being good? The kids go, no. I said, can you get to heaven by doing a lot of nice things and being, the, the, being the, a, a, a good person? And, uh, and they were like, no. And I said, so how do you get to heaven? Same kid. Raises his hand, he goes, you gotta be dead. <laughs> Same kid. So, anyway, back to the prodigal son. Back to the pouting prodigal. He said, I've never disobeyed. Really, man? Really? Are you really gonna give that line to your dad? Okay, I'm a parent. We parents see a lot. And... A lot of times kids aren't great at hiding their, dis- their, their disobedience and their rebellion. We've seen it. We know that you, and we know this is a true, this is not a true statement. You've never disobeyed? Really? Sorry, I forgot about that time I saw you over there walking on water. Seriously. See, pouting prodigals like to evaluate their goodness compared to other people around them. Okay, they base their goodness, their concept of their own self importance and their own goodness on the people around them. But Christians don't judge goodness based on the people around us. We judge our goodness compared to Jesus Christ. And so we have no way to complain. We have no way to to compare ourselves to other people because we do not stack up against the perfect example of Jesus. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say the two sons were standing there in the field and the father said, hey, if if, uh, you want to be a good person, all you have to do is jump over the moon. That's all you gotta do, jump over the moon. And that is how you know you're a good person. That's how you earn your salvation. That's how you know you're equal to Jesus. Just, Just jump over the moon. And let's say, okay, they both jump." And the older brother jumps maybe two inches higher than the other one. And he looks at him and says, see, look how much better I am than you. Well, the problem is is that whether you jumped two or six or 12 inches higher than the other one, you still miss the moon by 238,900 miles. You see, see that is, that is what we see. We see this over, this exaggerated sense of his own goodness because he is comparing himself to people around him. And guys, I don't want you to make that same mistake. We do not compare ourselves to the people around us because we're all broken. We're all trying to jump over the moon and jumping maybe a foot or two. We're all, every one of us, every person out there on the street, everyone in here, none of us stack up next to Jesus Christ. So, we don't compare ourselves to the people around us. We compare ourselves to Christ, and that's how we know we need His grace. Okay? But, pouting prodigals always evaluate their goodness based on the people around them. You may be good compared to the people around you. Congratulations. But they're not the standard Jesus is, okay? And then He says, This son of yours, that's your brother, man. But you're talking to your dad and you say, this son of yours? I have never, even when I've been mad at my brother, referred to my brother, to my dad as this son of yours. I have never disowned him. I've called him by his name. I've called him a few names. But I've never called him this son of yours. I've never disowned him, okay? That's exactly what this brother is doing. See, we see this, this self-righteousness in this older brother. It's so smug and it's so othering. For to use a lack of, of a better term, othering. See, what happens in pouting prodigals is that we see ourselves as here and because we're here, you're there and you're not as good as we are. This is an infection running through this older brother. And then he says this, I've slaved for you for years. You catch that? Imagine being a father and hearing that from your son that you have taught, you have nurtured, you have uh, encouraged, you've shown love to, and you find out that your relationship with your, with your son is, hey, I'm nothing more than a slave to you. And then he says this, I was never, I've slaved for you for years, and he says this, and I was never recognized in front of others. You never gave me so much as a young goat so I could, so I could celebrate with my friends. See, what we see here is the older son wasn't obedient because of righteousness, because of the right thing to do. He was obedient because he wanted recognition. That's what he wanted. That was his motivation, was recognition, not righteousness. I'm not going to follow you, Jesus, because I think it's the right thing to do. I'm following you because, man, when I walk into heaven, I want all the angels to step back and sing, How great thou art. Okay? That's, the, that's the, what's going on in this guy's mind right now. Okay, When you and I obsess over distinguishing ourselves from the unwashed masses around us, instead of growing in greater, greater in kindness and love and peace, we actually move further away from the Father. self righteousness produces spiritual amnesia, you all. Forget that we're sinners. Forget what Jesus saved us from. We forget where we would be without Jesus. How many of you all, if I took a show of hands, if, if, if you did not have Jesus... You wouldn't even be alive today. Absolutely. We have all been in these self-destructive patterns where, where, man, without the grace of God and probably a praying grandma. How many, can, can I get an amen on that? Yeah, absolutely. You grandmas, pray. Because us grandchildren, you know, our lives depend on it, okay? Usually something like that. Okay, guys, the antidote. Actually, before I go on there, the point of godliness, you all, is not to get better, the point of godliness is to get closer to the Father, and that makes us better, okay? Getting better is just a benefit of being close to the Father. It's all relational, you all. See, the antidote to this is focus on ourselves, not their specks. See, we follow a, a Savior that tells us to take the plank out of our own eye before we remove the speck from anyone else's. Okay, Matthew 7, 3, why do you look the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to you plank in your own eye? Jesus says, let's get our own houses in order. Let's get ourselves right first. Let's make sure that we are walking with Christ. Let's make sure that there are no blind spots in our lives before we have any time to call out anything else in anyone else, okay? All right, we need to spend our time getting our own houses in order first. If you've been here at Catalyst, you've heard that over and over and over again. Out in the, on social media and in the world right now, there are people obsessed with trying to correct what is wrong with other people. You didn't say the right word. You don't have the, you didn't, you, you don't have the right beliefs. You don't have the right political beliefs. You don't have the right religious beliefs. And I'm gonna tell you about it. I'm gonna get in your face and I'm gonna shout about it. I'm gonna make a big scene for the whole world to see. Those people are probably complete disasters, personally. i found the more a person obsesses over what someone else is doing, the more of a wreck they are personally. Believe me, let's get our own houses in order. And the third thing we can do to, uh, uh, to, to, be, to become a biblical pro at pouting is this, I have a misunderstanding of grace. I love this. Jesus tells this amazing parable. And it's just, it's incredible. He, he says a, a guy, landowner, goes out early in the morning, and he sees a bunch of people at the hiring station, says, hey, I want you to come work in my field at 7 a.m. Then he goes back at 9 a.m., hires some more. Back at 11 a.m., hires some more. Back and hires some more. And, he, and each time he says, hey, I, I will pay you a denarius, which was a day's wage. Same people, 7, 9, 11. He goes back out at 4 o'clock. And he hires some more people, agree to work for a denarius, okay? So at 5 o'clock, when the work is done, he lines up people hired last uh, to people hired first, and he begins to give out pay, paying each one a denarius. So the people at the back of the line who worked all day, from 7 a.m. to 5, they're like, man, he's going to pay us more, because this guy only worked one hour, and he gets a denarius. And they get up there, and they receive the same pay as a person that worked one hour. And he said they got, got pretty upset. Well, I think I'd be pretty upset too. I'm the one that did all the work, and I bore the, the work in the heat of the day, and this person works one hour and gets paid what I get paid? Man, y'all want to cause some chaos in your places of work. <laughs> Post what everybody makes. Whoa. You find out real quick how mature everybody is. Okay? But, man. And, he, and so the, the, the people that were hired at 7 a.m., go and grumble to the landowner. And he re- and responds this, Matthew 20, verse 13, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the same, I want to give the one who's hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? See, the problem is, and, and when we, we read that story, we're like, that's completely unfair. But that's because... Older brothers slash pouting prodigals always identify with the person hired first at 7 a.m. Okay, that's who we think we are. We think we're the people that done all the work. But very rarely do we realize that the point of Jesus' story is we're all the ones hired last. And that none of us is getting what we deserve. We're getting the same as the people who have who've been following Christ all their lives. We, we, are, we are all that person hired last, getting what we don't deserve. And that's how you have a true understanding of grace. So I ask you, please, stop thinking of yourself as a person hired first. You are one of the people hired last because we're getting what we don't deserve. And guys, that is how we have a true understanding of grace. But see, the pouting prodigal here saw himself as one of the ones hired first. Okay, but Luke 15, verse 31, he's complaining, well, the father says this, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. Now check out what the father says. Does he yell at his older bro- oldest son for being real with him? No, he doesn't. He says this, catch this. That's one of the beauty of this story. He says, son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. you understand what God is saying there to pouting prodigals? Do you understand what the father is saying to his son? He's saying, listen, your reward is not your inheritance. Your reward is me. You've been with me the whole time. You're wealthy beyond imagine because I'm the prize, and that's what God is saying to you. He's saying, I am the prize. Christian, I'm the prize. It doesn't matter what you get. It doesn't matter what other people are getting. You're with me, and all I have is yours. Okay? God is a reward. The Father reminds him of a truth that you may need to hear today, you all. What you're missing out on is not public recognition. That's what he's telling the son. But what you, are, what you have is the grace to embody my love. That's what you have. Okay, you've been living like hired help, son. You've been living like a servant when all the time you were the heir. You, you, you've been acting, you've been treating me like a boss when all along I've been your father. Son, don't be this way. You've completely missed the boat. And so many people in here have been acting like hired hands when all along you've been an heir to the kingdom and you've been treating God like a boss instead of treating him like your heavenly father. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. And and you think, he says to his oldest son, you think your younger brother is the prodigal but look where we are, he's in the house. You're out here, son, you need to come home too. You're just as lost as my younger son and you don't even see it. At least the younger son saw that he was lost and he knew it was his fault and he's not making any rationalizations or any justifications, he just came back and you are still outside. Who's having the party, older brother? It's the younger one. You're out here feeling sorry for yourself and you're missing the party. You're missing my love. You're missing the relationship with me because you're upset that I would dare to love a wayward son. Christians in churches, how many of us have that spirit within us today? Well, maybe you need to come home too. The antidote to this misunderstanding of grace we see in the father's words, he says, join my joy, join my joy. Older brother, pouting prodigal, stop pouting and join my joy. We had to celebrate, This is not an option, What the father says, you understand, this is not your brother's party, everybody get this, this is not your brother's party, pouting prodigal. This is my party and my grace and my goodness and my forgiveness are on full display for the world to see. This is not a party for the prodigal son, for the younger son. This is a party for me to show the world the kind of person I am. And I want you to come in and join with me in that joy. You understand the party was not for the younger son. It's party for the father because he wanted to show his grace. He wanted, to, he wanted to throw a party, and it shouted his goodness to all the neighbors, to the world, and now 2,000 years later. Okay? Well, we're resentful, you guys. I found this. We try to get happy people to join us in our misery. We can't jolt God out of his joy, though. The pouting Christian, pouting prodigal, tries to get God to join him in his misery or her misery. Did you know that? you Have ever done that before? God, I can't believe you're doing this. God's like, hey, there's a party over here. Come on, come on, join my joy. God, I, I, I can't, how can I rejoice with the way things are? You're dropping the ball all over the place. Um, that, that's, uh, that, that's a very uh, uneducated response. But uh, come on, come on, join my party. And the pouting prodigals always try to get God to join them in their misery. Try to get other Christians to join them in their misery and they're pouting, always. I've seen it firsthand. There's a party that God is throwing, and so many of us will miss it. We'll miss it because we have this misunderstanding of God's grace. Such a, such a terrible missing of God's grace. Is, is there any, are you nursing a spirit of, of, of complaining and grumbling? Are you nursing that right now? I want to ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to break that here this morning. Are, are, are you, do you have this misunderstanding of grace where you think that you're one of the people hired first and you've done all the work and these other people are just getting in scot-free and, and they have, uh, I want to ask you to break that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Do you have an exaggerated sense of your own goodness? Really? You think you walk on water? Are you looking at other people and, and seeing what is wrong in them rather than trying to fix what's wrong in here. I want to ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to break that this morning. Guys, there are two lost sons in this story at the beginning. And there's still one lost son at the end. The pouting prodigal was just as lost as his brother. And I have a feeling that maybe there's some people that are lost in here that have never wandered away Never done anything bad, but you're just as lost because you're a pouting prodigal. So do some business with the Lord this week. Don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. Okay? All right? So three ways to pout like a biblical pro. Let's eradicate them from our lives and from this church. All right? You guys are awesome. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.